from Relay FM. This is Download, recorded Thursday, August 16th, 2018. This is episode 67, Anything with a C. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, and I am joined by two wonderful guests. Leah Becerra is back. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And all the way from Slovenia, Andrzej Tomic is here. Hello. Hello. Uh, it's uh, it's it's good to hear your voice as well. And uh, to two people who are familiar with how this works, Stephen Hackett is also here. He uh, and I put the show together every week. Hi, Stephen. I'm also familiar with how it works, Jason. <laughs> we have topics and we discuss them. <laughs> Well, that's good. At least one of us knows what's happening here. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we might as well get right down to it. The most interesting stories of the week, as uh, picked by me and Stephen. Uh, and we begin with Big Brother. We're going to start there. Technology is watching you. There was a story in the New York Times this week by Stacey Cowley about how banks and retailers are using metrics to track not just what you do, but how you do it in terms of typing, scrolling, and tapping on your devices. Um, now, that sounds really sinister, and I invoked Big Brother there, but it is, I think, worth saying it's not all bad. Uh, one of the examples that Callie gives in her article about this is uh, Royal Bank of Scotland used it as fraud detection. Um, to discover, well, let me read what the story says. A few months ago, the software picked up unusual signals coming from one wealthy customer's account. After logging in, the visitor used the mouse to scroll wheel, something the customer had never done before. You use the wheel to scroll. Come on. Then the visitor <laughs> typed on the numerical strip at the top of the keyboard instead of using the keypad. The bank said, oh, this isn't our user. Shut down access. That account had been hacked. So, that's good, but let's keep in mind also this type of data is being collected that we may not even think about it. How you swipe on your phone, what keys you use, whether you're using a scroll wheel or not. Uh, and there's no oversight here. Some companies are handling this internally. Others are using outside tracking vendors, which can open things up to more risks. Uh, the state of California, where I live, has a law about disclosing this kind of data collection, but it doesn't go into effect until 2020, I believe. Um, and there was also, on a separate topic of data collection, an AP story this week about how Google Maps is aggressively collecting location data and actually uh, making it kind of hard to find the place where you would turn off the collection of your location history so that has a better idea of where you're going um, in and there's like an opt-out in a weird place and uh, it's enabled by default and so uh, John Gruber on Daring Fireball this week made a great Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference which is of course that um, the, the we, pl- we what, what do you mean we posted it publicly in the basement behind a locked door in the bottom of a filing cabinet with a sign that said beware of the leopard but it was public it's a little bit a little bit like that so okay i i big brother lots of tracking uh i'm just kind of i want to hear what you guys think about about this tendency to track every little detail does it does it concern you i mean there are obviously positive uses of it the the bank of scotland example is a is a good one there but it is i i i was made uneasy by the idea that the the way i tap on my smartphone may be being logged somewhere that seems really really strange anjay what do you think well the, yeah the the whole 
see, I'm, I'm coming from it from like a, the European Union perspective, where, where I kind of think even if those profiles are being stored, the, the, the creepy thing to me is that because, the, you know, again, with the profiles, the same with the, you know, web surfing now is just how you use your phone, where you swipe, you know, which keypad you use and stuff like that. But like, I imagine like if I lived in America, I'd be way more worried because like over where you guys are, like companies just keep selling you guys out all the time, right? You, you sign up for one thing and then you get like seven pieces of mail the next day because you know that information basically just gets bought and sold uh, through everybody over here it's like at least in theory it's kind of different because it's kind of more strict so those kind of things don't get shopped around that much right but i I imagine you know there's workarounds and stuff does happen but the, the 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 really like um i i sort of as a tech guy i'm sort of it's sort of ingenious to kind of you know figure out who's using the device in that way you know because you figured you know the touch screen and the gyro in it and all of that stuff was sort of used you know to just you know for the phone to figure out where it is right it never really occurred to me for them to be using the gyro to see at what angle the device is <laughs> to kind of pinpoint the person that's that's so smart honestly but yeah the the whole you know storing of the stuff and then i'm sure it will get you know passed on at some point and it's another one of those cases which you know like excluding the google thing just the banks and stuff is where you know banks outsource all of their tech you know i don't know like what the bank applications like the the iphone and android apps are over in america but over here they're the worst apps imagine <laughs> like imaginable because they just outsource all of that stuff because they don't have you know the knowledge or like a division to do mobile stuff so it's usually really crappy software to begin with and then they change vendors in the middle of it and then you know the, the next one's going to do a little bit of a better job and then i don't know what happens here because they hire a company you know that company builds up a profile of i don't know how many million you know um um people that use that bank and then they switch them and i don't know what happens to that data and like in america i think that you know it just gets sold on probably and that's that's where it gets really weird to me because i'm i'm so i i'm genuinely not used to my data sort of being sold when i give my number to a company usually what happens over here that company has my number and so you know my dad <laughs> imagine gave my number <laughs> my dad gave my number to a insurance company here like 15 years ago i still get calls but i haven't gotten calls you know from anybody else yeah i don't use you know one of those spam blockers you guys are keep talking about because like no random like numbers call me unless it's like an english number for some reason but you know so yeah but over there i don't know you know you guys have it worse here. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> At least from my point of view. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure the security staff is kind of nice. Uh, but it just, I don't know, just irks me when, you know, profiles are being created. That, that's where it gets creepy to me. I have no inherent issue with these behavioral metrics. Um, behavioral biometrics, I guess, is what it's supposed to be called. But the issue that I do take is in the fact that this data is being gathered in a very non-transparent manner. Like if somebody is tracking me scrolling through my phone to figure out if I am who I say I am when I access my banking app, I would like to know about it because it is a security feature that seems like it would be useful, but um, I want to know who the company is that's actually gathering the data um, because I want to look them up and I want to see who else they're working for and you know, when they get hacked, I want to know, oh, they have my data. What can I do to um, secure myself 
in spite of the fact that it's now out there. <laughs> well, you should just start using the numpad, obviously, because that confuses the system. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, when I read the article about this taking place, I started thinking about how I was scrolling through my computer at work oh, and yeah. at home and on my phone. <laughs> I'm thinking like, gosh, should I be switching this up, how I'm doing it? Would it help me to actually try and fool these systems? But I don't know. I don't know about it still. No, there's just one weird sort of detail in that story because it's it was for the wealthy customers first, mm-hmm. right? And then it sure. went on to businesses. And I'm just hoping that sort of a, if, you know, if security is actually... Uh, at the forefront of all of this, right? So it's not, let, let's say, you know, they're all benevolent and it's not data collection. It is kind of weird that it's just the rich people first, and, you know, then businesses, and then maybe everybody else gets it. Cause, well, you know, if you're, if you're RBS, I guess like the rich customers have more money with them. So have more money to be and more likely to be the target of fraud, I guess is the argument there. But you're right. There was that. I, I did. I thought it was interesting the way the story is framed. Forgive me for doing a little bit of journalism. Uh, inside baseball here, but I, I think you you all will appreciate it at least, which is that um, I thought having that example that I read up high in the article was a very interesting way of framing the story, that this story could have been written in a much more yeah. alarming way. And in fact, as you go on, it's a little more alarming, but like there is this attempt to sort of disarm you at the top with this story about how, oh, it has good uses too. And that's just a choice that the writer made. And I think it's a great example. I like the idea that this can, stuff can be used for good, but isn't the story of so much of the tech industry over the last 10 or 20 years hasn't it been like oh look at this technology where we where we use this data for good and then there's somebody at the company who says say we've got all this data i wonder what else we could do with it and that's sort of that leads you down the 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 path of people being a little more uncomfortable with the the feeling surveilled um right which is yeah. Yeah, i don't i don't know this is the dichotomy of so- something like security where you are giving up some level of privacy in exchange for some security and that's a deal that um that a lot of people want you to take that deal because they they there's value in in them watching you but at some point you might want to say you know too much about me already i don't know it's a, it's a difficult thing but it did it did make me um it did bother me and then seeing something like the google story similarly right where that's yeah. an example where google is just a voracious eater of personal information and it looks like they're trying their hardest to make it as non-obvious as possible how you stop giving them information because that's like you know they don't want to come out and say it but it's like well this is why we built google maps (laughs) so (laughs) please give us your data (laughs) i I would say with the google thing like that that's where google kind of like that's where i kind of lose faith in them with stuff like that because it is sort of very opaque and hard to discover but like just not really playing devil's advocate but the thing i always give google props for and they always sort of their pr departments when stuff like this gets out they always say we give people robust tools you know to delete and whatever and that is like that is actually true like i'm not trying to you know defend them too much but like i i imagine like tech companies like you know even like the banks and stuff they'll they'll just do that you know even the article said uh, like the um, rbs was one of the few banks that publicly talks about the tracking right like at right. least to google's credit they, they do have those tools and then yeah like gruber wrote that i was funny the whole basement thing where they kind of hide where you can turn all of that stuff off like that's 
cre- crappy and creepy and anything with a C anyway, really. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but they do, they do give you the tools. I think that's where, you know, something like Facebook, like they don't even have that sort of, you know, check within the company. Even the tools like with Facebook are v- like way more opaque than Google's are. But again, not to excuse what Google's doing here. Cause like if you say no location service, it should be no location services, right? Right. And then, but they still collect stuff. So like not giving them a pass, but you know, I, I do think you have to acknowledge that whenever Google does this, they do genuinely have like, pretty good tools that are kind of understandable most of the time but every time i we learn about like one more checkbox that was hidden somewhere else it just i don't know what to do then because you know people tell me should i use google photos i'm like yes it's great but yeah you know Yep. Look out for the checkboxes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's really frustrating because you're right. These tools are useful, and I I mean, I think about when um, the fact that Apple's privacy standards are so good came to light um, in the midst of the San Bernardino iPhone case, and how a lot of people were talking about how happy they were that they're an iPhone user and not an Android user in a couple cases. Um, just as an example, but I'm sitting here next to my iPhone and I'm thinking about the 15 different Google apps that I have on my iPhone. And I'm, I know that I don't have another app that I would replace with any one of those apps because I use them all the time and they are valuable to me. And I know that I'm giving my data away, but I'm very frustrated again with transparency. I'm very frustrated that Google Google can't just be forthcoming with the information that, hey, we're, we're taking this from you. Um, and, you know, I would just like to know. And then I can really make good decisions. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, maybe look for alternatives. But, um, yeah. I, I will say, like, Google Maps... Uh, the sort of the routing information, a lot of that stuff. Like even in Slovenia, because, you know, we're tiny and nobody cares about us most of the time. It works really well. Like most of the people I know that have iPhones barely use Apple Maps, right? I know there's a whole, you know, initiative within Apple to kind of get all of that fixed and stuff, you know, and they're doing basically a whole new version. But I mean, that location data basically makes it, makes Google Maps awesome to sort of navigate, you know, and stuff like that. So I don't know, like I'm waiting, I'm I'm kind of hoping, I I said that I think last time I was here, like I'm hoping when Apple releases the new Apple Maps, it's it's as good and is as good in as many places as google maps is because if they can prove they can, that it, it can all be done with you know the whole anonymizing of data and stuff like that'll be a clear signal to google to maybe you know change their ways at least a little bit right but until yeah. that happens like when there's still such a chasm between you know the sort of usefulness of uh, google maps um, uh, versus apple maps when location data is used you know it's it's fine if it works in san francisco right but that's for san francisco and then there's this whole other, you know, earth, <laughs> basically, where it's kind of nice if all of that stuff works and the information's there. So I'm, I'm hoping Apple pulls it off, honestly, because I think it'll be great, but we'll see. Well, we will see. Well, uh, much more to talk about on this episode. But first, I want to take a break, tell you about our first sponsor this week. Uh, this episode of Download is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. Text Expander is software that helps you communicate smarter by creating snippets for the stuff you type or copy and paste all the time. Eliminate that drudgery. Uh, you can get 
your email addresses and website addresses, today's date, longer stuff like directions to your office, reference requests, proposals, answers to common questions you get in email, all of those things, create them once and then summon them in any app on the Mac, on Windows, on iPhone, on iPad by using an abbreviation, type a couple of letters, a whole response a whole paragraph emerges uh you can also search for them using a hotkey you can personalize your responses using fill-in fields so when you expand a snippet you can have room to add in personal details like somebody's name they can save you so much time whether you're trying to keep on top of email planning a party that involves sending lots of messages just trying to be more productive and you can power up your whole team by sharing snippets so if you've got somebody in your team who's really good at at, uh writing that paragraph that everybody needs to respond to a certain question for in the company from a customer in a certain way you have one person write one snippet and everybody else can get it and then if there's an update it all syncs, so they update the snippet, and then everybody's using the new snippet. It's uh, so you don't get out of sync with your messaging. It's very clever, very smart, and you should try it. Visit textexpander.com/podcast, and you'll get twenty percent off your first year of Text Expander. Thank you to Smile Software and Text Expander for supporting Download. Okay, topic number two. Everybody needs a friend. Sesame Street taught me that. And uh, that includes imaginary friends like Mr. Snuffleupagus and, uh, spoilers for Sesame Street, and uh, Cortana and uh, an A-L-E-X-A, the voice assistant uh, from Amazon. This week, Amazon and Microsoft showed off how the two voice assistants work together in Windows 10. So you can use Cortana for dealing things with things like Outlook. You can use Alexa, I said it, for smart home controls and a library of third-party skills. It's not as seamless as you might hope. Instead of asking a question and having the assistants work it out, I got it, you take it, Yola Tango. The user has to ask one assistant to open the other. Once you open Cortana, all voice data goes to Microsoft and not Amazon. And once you open Alexa, all voice data goes to Amazon and not Microsoft, said an Amazon spokeswoman. Okay, a little clunky. But still, Jeff Bezos said that Amazon hopes to make it more seamless. Meanwhile, I will also point out Samsung had their event while we were doing the show last week. And Samsung is still pushing Bixby, their assistant. But of course, it's a Google, uh, it's an Android phone. So there's also Google Assistant on it. So there's another case where you've got like two crazy mismatched voice assistants that are living (laughs) together in one little phone. What will happen? It's the odd couple. So um, so, uh, I'm interested in taking your guys' temperature on like uh, on assistants and general and then like are you intrigued by the idea of having <laughs> voice assistants uh, fight it out or is this uh i'm not trying to load this question but i because i'm, I'm kind of baffled about like <laughs> it seems like a super weird compromise but at the same time i like the idea that i don't have to buy different devices to load in new assistants that they all can live together in one little uh one little box leah what do you think you know i'm one of those people who actually doesn't use a voice assistant very often um and i'm going to tell you a very short story to explain why so Literally last night, we were making Mai Tais at my house. They were delicious. And um, <laughs> we were using fresh lime. So you squeeze it and you get the juice out. And then we measured how much lime juice we were actually getting. And we weren't sure if we actually had enough to make the recipe correctly. Um, so we asked Siri how many ounces are in a cup or something like that. And Siri couldn't answer the question, but then she asked a follow-up question, which was, um, what are you trying to convert into ounces? So we said cups. 
And then she said, what are you trying to convert into cups? So we said ounces. And then she said, what are you trying to convert into ounces? And, you know, it just kept going on like that. So it didn't, it did not work. Um, so I guess if there were a reality where Siri would pass off this task to another voice assistant that could maybe do a better job or something like that, I would potentially do it. But from a business standpoint, I don't see how that makes sense because wouldn't the business want to keep a person kind of locked in its own ecosystem rather than sharing out information? And I'll say with the caveat that I did read in this story that once you pass off from one voice assistant to the other, the data sharing part kind of gets knocked off. So the yeah. other one's not getting both information. But I, I see it as you would only be harming your business by letting people go away from your voice assistant to another one. Um, and the only way it would work is if everybody was sharing. So if everybody's not sharing, it really doesn't make sense. Well, it's yeah, but the, the reason they're doing it as is as far as I can tell is because Microsoft has the PCs and then Amazon has the smart speakers and one and the other doesn't have what the other one has. That made no sense, but I think I know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> Also consumer demand potentially, right? Where people are like, well, I, I really like my Alexa stuff, so I want to use that. And Microsoft is like, okay, we could give that to you. We could do that. It is a, an yeah, interesting thing, but I could see why they might feel like their their um, customers want that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's sort of a win-win. At least that, that's what they think. Like Amazon gets into you know computers and tablets with the Surface and stuff, and Microsoft gets proper smart speakers because all they have is that one cortana speaker right but yeah when they're not everyone everybody's not sharing kind of defeats the purpose and i don't know it's i think like the voice assistants are one of those technologies that it's almost like building an operating system like very few companies can actually do it like my girlfriend has a uh, samsung phone and i think she used the bixby button once by mistake mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was and then it just it ended there and we do have google homes at home so uh you know we do use those i did have a moment there where i thought you were saying that your girlfriend was building her own voice assistant and i was like that is ambitious <laughs> yeah. that's very <laughs> very exciting i'm just saying like it's it's one of those things where it's it's really it's really hard to do well and then you know samsung's trying like um what i was actually going with this is because you know like huawei and my Maybe LG, they all sort of try with their own AI. They all have a, like a buzzword, but with the yeah. assistants, most just use the Google stuff, right? right. But Samsung Samsung's keeps actually, trying to make Bixby happen, right? It, basically, and they're like, they're the outlier because like it's hard and Bixby sucks because I, I use it on my, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, review phones and it's not, it's really not good. Like it's, it's, it's really is one of those technologies that kind of maybe on the face of it, if you're not into tech, maybe it looks like, well, why can't you just tell me the thing I asked? Right. But as we all know, you're like, like everybody, anybody that uses, um, uh, the Amazon's assistant and Google's and Apple's, they're not like, they're not perfect, right? But they are no. getting way better and they are okay. And it's, they're hard to do. So, you know, any company that, you know, Sonos has, you know, Amazon's assistant in it, right? right? They're not going to build their own because it's just too hard. And Microsoft's probably just dying to get, <laughs> to get into <laughs> another consumer line of products because all they have is the surface stuff and, you know, that's, and the mice and the keyboards, probably. I think there is a uh, somebody is making a, a a speaker with Cortana in it, but I, I forget exactly who. Why? Yeah, it, it, there is there, a speaker exists, but you know, it's one. It's not. No, you know, it's not the um, echoes and the you know Google Homes or the totally true. The, I, yeah. I, I just the 
idea, the, the Cortana announcement, Cortana and Amazon Assistant announcement with Microsoft and Amazon, uh, what it seems like, what they're basically saying is, look, they're apps, basically. These assistants are apps, and you need to summon the particular one to do the particular task. And I get why they just are trying to get something done here, and it's the same way Samsung is trying to do this, where it's like, well, there's really just two. But it would seem like this is going to be one of those things that we look back on, if not already, in a few years, <laughs> and go like, that why did you do that? That's a terrible idea. That, it, that there should be some sort of like high-level voice assistant that then dispatches the request to one of the the data stores and responds right like you know now my amazon assistant is has all the power of cortana behind it right or vice versa but instead it's like nope uh it's it's like a you're saying to a person hey can you help me with this and they're like no you need to go down the hall and talk to the other one like okay (laughs) (laughs) that's not helpful yeah. Virtual know. assistant, but bu- bureaucracy, basically. <laughs> That's right. They keep passing yeah. the buck. You might want to talk to... It, yeah. Actually, this is exactly what Leah got into with the Mai Tais, which is imagine if it's being like, maybe you should ask uh, Cortana that. Oh, well, maybe you should <laughs> ask Alexa that. Well, th- no, I, they sent me... Uh, suddenly, it's who's on first. <laughs> And uh, that's not good. I got that reference, by the way. Oh, good. The who's on first. Oh, good. Just wanted to say that. I went from, I'm kind of proud. Sorry. We went all the way from <laughs> Sesame Street to Abbott and Costello there. <laughs> Let's move on. We got more to talk about. Um, I'll take another break and tell you about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you in part by Linode. With Linode, you have an access to a suite of powerful hosting options. Pricing starts at $5 a month for your own server on the internet that you can do anything with. It's uh, uh, up and running your own virtual server, $5 a month in the Linode cloud in less than a minute because of their easy web-based tools. Linode offers industry-leading performance. They have native SSD storage. They have a 40 gigabit network, Intel E5 processors. They have 10 data centers spread all across the world, meaning you can serve your customers even quicker than before. They have an API that lets you easily automate tasks, develop custom applications in the cloud. Everything is manageable via the command line. Um, I actually had a, a situation where I needed to get in and there's a command line tool built into the web interface, or I could SSH using a terminal, like so many different ways to do it. All of Linode's pricing tiers feature hourly billing with a monthly cap, so you aren't going to be surprised at the end of the month in terms of what your bill is going to be. It's it's pretty much consistent on all plans, on all add-on services like backups and node balancers. So I've got my server, and I've got my backup, and I know I'm going to get my bill every month because all of my stuff is on Linode, too. And let me just tell you, the price I'm paying is ridiculously low for what I'm getting, which is Everything I do is on a single Linode server. Uh, fantastic pricing options are available. Uh, plans start at one gig of RAM for $5 a month. How cheap is that? And there are also high memory plans starting at 16 gigs of RAM. As a listener to this show, if you sign up at linode.com slash download FM, you'll not only be supporting us, you'll get $20 toward any Linode plan. That means four free months on the one gig of RAM plan. There's also a seven-day money-back guarantee, so there's nothing to lose. Great for hosting databases and running mail servers and running a VPN and running Docker containers and uh, setting up a podcast network and building your own CMS and all those sorts of things that uh, I resemble to a certain degree go to linode.com slash download fm learn more sign up take advantage of that 20 dollars credit or just use the promo code download fm 2018 when you check out thank you to linode for supporting download 
All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, Before we get to topic number three, I want to tell you about the story you might have missed, a story that may have flown under your radar, but is worth mentioning. And uh, yeah, basically we said, uh, so let me explain what I intro the show. I say a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of tech and other stuff you care about. By other stuff you care about, I really mean other stuff that Stephen and I care about, which (laughs) usually involves things in space, which space stuff is tech, sort of, but also yeah. we're interested yeah. in it. So, Stephen, uh, you, you, what what happened this week that we should talk about? We went around the sun a little bit more. That's all. Just okay. a reminder that we're specks on a tiny planet amongst a sea of <laughs> wow. stars. Wow. Um, that's all true. It's all true. But specifically, do you, I can get more specific. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. So, this weekend, NASA launched the Parker Solar Probe. It's a spacecraft. It has a giant heat shield and a bunch of instruments, and it's designed to uh, study the corona of the sun, which is like superheated gas in the upper atmosphere of our star. It's also going to be measuring solar wind. So this is, there's basically uh, a stream of particles flowing off the sun in every direction, uh, that, and that kind of defines the solar system where that solar wind ends. And we... We actually don't know a ton about that. Um, in fact, it wasn't even hypothesized until the late 1950s by a guy named Eugene Parker. His ideas we talked about on Liftoff this week was basically like laughed out of scientific journals because yeah. people thought space was a perfect vacuum. And this idea that there would be particles streaming from the sun in every direction at incredibly, incredibly high rates of speed didn't really jive with the total vacuum idea. So but he was proven right. Parker is now in his 90s, and he was present for the launch this weekend, which is the first time a spacecraft has been named after a living human, which I think is really it's pretty, it's, it's a special moment. The mission will take up to seven years, uh, with the craft slingshotting around Venus several times to gain speed, and it is making these super close passes of the sun, like way closer than Mercury. We think about Mercury being nestled right up next to the sun. Uh, the Parker Solar Probe is going to get way, way closer. It's going to be very hot, very fast, and we're going to hopefully learn a lot about the uh, the star that keeps us all here alive. Yeah, it's got a fancy heat shield, so it'll be room temperature, even though it's going to be right like touching the outer envelope of the uh, of the solar uh, atmosphere, <laughs> which is pretty amazing technology wise and uh, yeah you might not think about space having weather but it totally does because the sun is always streaming stuff out there and if 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 you ever hear a story about like there being more auroras that's because the sun is having a particularly active phase and uh, every now and then there is a a failure of the electrical grid somewhere that is often blamed on a solar flare because they can that that can happen we're generally protected from solar weather by the magnetic field of the earth but not always because the sun is really big and we're very small to take it back to Stephen's original point. That puts it all in perspective, Stephen. Thank you. Yeah, Twitter doesn't seem so bad now. That was like a, mi- a mini liftoff. That was a, yeah, like a little mini- baby liftoff right inside. Yeah. Uh, for more, listen to our podcast liftoff. Anyway, you might have missed that if you weren't paying attention to space <laughs> stuff, which you should be. Uh, topic number three. Let's talk about. We're going to go back down to Earth, and we're going to go back to uh, to uh, Silicon Valley. There's a talent acquisition war growing between Amazon's Twitch 
Amazon owns Twitch now, and YouTube. Twitch has historically been home to video game streaming, but is now offering deals to content creators with large YouTube audiences to come stream on Twitch. Offers are rumored to include payment of a few million dollars a year. It's good work if you can get it, as well <laughs> as a share of future advertising sales and subscription revenue to creators. Meanwhile, YouTube is paying creators sums up front to use and promote new features, including paid memberships and an enhanced chat system. This comes after complaints from creators that the only monetization strategy native to YouTube is advertising. Coupled with YouTube's struggles to police advertising-friendly content, uh, it's had some users looking elsewhere, and hence Twitch getting serious about live streaming different types of content. So, um, I think this is really interesting from a creator's perspective, because you've got tech giants kind of falling over themselves to get uh, people who make stuff onto their platforms. Uh, uh, so, and, and everybody here is involved to a certain degree in creating content. And I'm curious what you think about the, uh, the this uh, Amazon and Twitch trying to pay uh, pay a lot of money to people to come stream on their platform. Anjay, what do you think? Well, I, I sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm the Steven of a YouTube show over here in Slovenia, which means I basically produce it. Uh, so when, when we started, the only sort of platforms we were considering was Facebook and YouTube. And then Facebook is just awful in many ways. <laughs> so we chose YouTube. <laughs> well, yeah, cause the guy that does the show, right? We do the show together. He was like, yeah, why just not do it on Facebook? And I just explained to him they're just they're an awful company. Just no. So we went with YouTube. <laughs> And now, like, I don't know, the, the Twitch thing, because it's always, it's always interesting to me when, like, a platform sort of grows to, like, a, like a, an egg, like a proper size, like Twitch has. But it's, it's very intrinsic to, uh, to Twitch that it's for streaming, right? It's not for, you know, videos that were already made and then you watch it after. Like, that, that, the whole spiel of Twitch was, you know, it, it, so to be, for it to be true to itself, it needs to kind of, you know, nurture the whole streaming stuff. And I get why it would want, you know youtube creators to come and stream on twitch right but i think what's great about youtube the the intrinsic thing about youtube is that that's where you know videos live basically and it's it's hard i i know people sort of see them as competitors but i think they're actually very complementary where youtube is sort of like where it's basically an archive it really is on demand tv really and then twitch is for streaming, right? Because YouTube, you've been able to stream on YouTube for a while, right? But most of the big, you know, I don't know, Fortnite, let's say, streamers, they all stick to Twitch because, you know, that's for streaming. YouTube's for, you know, videos. And I don't know what they, like, I imagine a couple of million dollars, like some people are going to take them up on that, I'm sure. But I think like the community, the community of, you know, creators that YouTube has built, I don't know. I, I think it's pretty, I think still it's pretty rock solid, even with all of the, you know, I don't know, the Paul brothers and all of that crap, basically. But, you know, I think it's still a place where if you want video to get out, it will be on YouTube, right? And we haven't mentioned IGTV, you know, maybe the dumbest name for a feature of an app ever. But, you know, it's there, apparently. But oh, I don't know. Nobody Instagram. Ever right, right, right. <laughs> That's why we hadn't mentioned it. I forgot that it existed. Yeah. IGTV. Uh, yeah. Leah, what do you think about all this? You know, whenever I start thinking about the fact that there are people out there um, making videos at home and making tons of money, I get very jealous, first of all. Um, <laughs> so that said, I do feel like YouTube has this has this um, uh, 
what's the right word? They have a brand where people can go there to find out how to do something. And people can go there to find reviews on phones. And there's almost like a usefulness to it. Whereas um, I see Twitch as more of an entertainment feature. You know, you're catching it while it's live. So I don't see them directly competing, at least in my mind or in the way that I know people use the sites. Um, I do kind of see after reading some of these Bloomberg articles that they're, they're, they are competing. Um, but I'm curious to see if they start actually taking these personalities and locking them into contracts, kind of like TV stations do with their um, hosts and personalities that are doing the newscasts, for example. And I wonder what that would do to the ecosystems that have been created for people who like to consume video content online. And I think I think it could be det- detrimental um, in the long run. And I'm really curious how it's all going to shake out. I share your feelings about <laughs> knowing that there are people in a garage somewhere, like me, but not me, <laughs> who are making content on YouTube and have the ability to do that, right? That, that is one of the great things about how the internet has changed media stuff, is that anybody who's good and can find an audience can um, have this great success and have giant tech companies basically fighting over them and throwing money at them to do it. That is, that is fascinating to me. Um, knowing, so Steve, Stephen and I know a, a popular YouTuber, right? CGP gray. And just every now and then I get a, a fact from him, like from the world of YouTubers and you know, it is a blessing and a curse, right? Because the, these platforms are incredibly powerful, but they, the, the, as I mentioned, the monetization options are limited natively on YouTube. There are ways to make money by selling sponsorships and putting them in your videos yourself and not using YouTube's system at all, which YouTube doesn't, I, I think, love, but it, it is what it is. Um, and they all build their own Patreons and things like that. And so YouTube's like, no, 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 we want to, we want you to use our tools now. It's, it's an interesting push and pull because YouTube is the source of their audience. It also kind of owns the platform, which is a little bit of an uneasy combination. It's a fascinating thing to see. And I, I always worry that the, that the platforms are going to be, uh, too dominant and take advantage of the creators. And so having, alternatives that are trying to lure them it's got to be good for the creators well in the end it is also true you know to upload a video now right to twitch and youtube it's not like you know the hardest thing to do yeah. you know to basically send it to both both places but again you know youtube has its own little you know how you do the outros and the cards at the end and you know the subscription button and stuff and then twitch does that in a different way and that's where it kind of all breaks down right but to just you know the, the one thing you ever creator can do is just upload to both and you know hope for the best on the other platform but i think video is still hard you know like online i think even like in the podcasting world we all know you know storage has gone it's really cheap you know the hosting of the files because you know like the internet speeds have gone up but video is still pretty hard and you know until it actually gets democratized with you know everybody could just host their own stuff maybe you know it's gonna be the big platforms and you know yeah uh, twitch has the gamers which is a really you know that's the largest entertainment industry so it's nothing to sneeze at but youtube has everything basically and it's kind of hard to beat everything and youtube kind of has a corner market on um search engine results too so whenever i 
Google, how do I snake the drain in my bathroom? Um, because the tub is clogged probably because of B. Um, I end up on a YouTube video of some guy shoving a, a folded coat hanger down the tube and like pulling out hair. Like it works. It works every single time. And YouTube definitely has the corner market, obviously, because they're owned by Alphabet. Google, all of that. I uh, replaced a car stereo using a YouTube video too. Same thing, right? It's it's uh, mm-hmm. kind of brilliant how they do that. Um, all right. Well, we're going to move on. We've got one more topic. Uh, before we get there, though, I want to tell you about our third and final sponsor. This episode of Download is also brought to you by a new sponsor for us, Molecule. I'm sure that all of you have spent a lot of effort making your home comfortable, welcoming, and maybe even smart. But have you thought about the air in your home And is it polluted? Is it clear? Without pollutants in your air, maybe you could sleep better, feel better, live better. Molecule is the only air purifier that actually destroys pollutants. More than 80% of people living in urban areas that monitor pollution are exposed to air quality that doesn't meet recommendations set by the World Health Organization. The worst news is that indoor air can be up to five times, up to five times worse than outdoor air. And you probably... If you're like me, live indoors. So, to rest easy, knowing you're breathing clean air, you need Molecule. Molecule is introducing a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level, hence the name. There are many, many happy customers are reaping the benefits. Customers are saying things like they're able to breathe through their noses for the first time in years. It's got a clean design. It's a beautiful uh, designed little uh, kind of tower. High quality experience. Some people have called it the apple of air purifiers. It does look kind of apple It's been verified by science. It's not the apple part, but how it works is scientific um, and tested by real people. They have already helped allergy and asthma sufferers cope with their conditions and significantly, significantly reduce their symptoms. So the Molecule Air Purifier, whisper quiet, energy efficient, made for rooms of all sizes, portable, you can pick it up carry it around and connected you can control it using a touchscreen display that's on the unit or remotely using an app you need to go and look at the molecule air purifier just to see everything it can do and how great it looks so go to molecule.com that's that's with a k molecule with a k m-o-l-e-k-u-l-e.com take a look around and when you make your first order you can use the code download fm and get 75 dollars off that's download fm for 75 dollars off your order at molecule.com thank you to molecule for supporting download clean air i support clean air okay one more topic apple it was reported this week is encouraging app developers to abandon their traditional buy an app approach and replace it with subscription models now this is not something it's something we've heard about before but what business insider reported is that apple actually has been holding meetings held a meeting in new york city for more than 30 developers where they were evangelizing this approach switching from buy my app to pay a monthly or annual fee for my app um this is apple solution to apps being these one shot products where you buy it once and that's it and there are no upgrades um now some apps i think have already shown and and will show that subscriptions uh make sense but for other apps it kind of doesn't make sense and i'm curious at we're all smartphone users here we all are using apps um what you all think about this uh, is a, an app with a subscription better or worse than a big than like an upfront cost and where do you draw the line i'm curious about that of something that you're like oh that makes sense as a subscription app but this one doesn't leah what do you think you know i definitely think it depends on what service or features that app is providing so um a good example of this is 
well before 2016, um, my other half was using 1Password as a password manager for all of his apps. And he got that at a discounted rate when he paid a one-time fee and he got it all. And it was awesome. Um, I got my password manager, I think, toward the end of 2016, and I pay a subscription fee. But I actually think that the continued updates of a password manager or something like that it makes sense to be a subscription type app. What does not make sense to me to be a subscription app is, for example, an application that I bought semi-recently. It was not subscription. If it, if it were, I would not have purchased it. But what it did was it gave me special editing tools um, for photos and videos that I would shoot. And it was a one-time fee of, I want to say, like $10. And I get to use it for forever. Um, now, if there are any major updates, I'm not sure if I will get access to those updates. I would hope that I would. But as a subscription type app, it just would not have made sense because that's the type of thing that you use once, you use twice. If you are using it regularly, you're probably in the minority. Um, and I guess, I guess that's what it comes down to. <laughs> If you're using an app regularly, it's probably going to be more likely to be a subscription type service. Um, and if you're using it as a one-off or very, very occasionally, you know, a dollar or $10 in this case isn't really that much if you get to access it forever and if you're only using it every so often. Does that all make yeah, sense? I think so. Jay, what do you think? Well, I, I, see, for me, I actually think subscriptions are a good idea, and but it just, you know, it sort of depends on how frequent the subscription is. I think everybody just has it in mind, so it's like a monthly thing, right? So you'll pay, I don't know, a dollar every month. But it, like, it could be a yearly subscription if that was built into the system. I think that's where it kind of gets interesting. And then, you know, maybe like Leah said, like it could be, you know, one of those apps that now costs, you know, 10 bucks and then you basically use it forever. But maybe it would be like, to, you know, two dollars a year or whatever. So if you use it a couple of times a year, you'll pay the two bucks, right? For it to, you know, get some money and, you know, get the continued development and then get when the updates come, you'll get to use them. I think that it's just, I, I think they're better because what we have now clearly has not worked. The whole buying the app stuff, like really has not worked because like it just, the, the whole thing, the, like every like segment of the market is just saturated. There's like two paid apps, which are usually the ones to get, right? But then there's like 27 alternatives that are basically free and you know the free-to-play games with the in-app purchases like it's not a pretty site really like the android or ios app store right so i don't know i think subscriptions might be the way to go and the fact that you know even the subscriptions could be like i don't know 15 cents a month or something like you just get the developers to have a recurring revenue stream. Like, I think that's kind of, you know, that, that's the thing. Cause I think even when you buy an app, like the customers, uh, sort of, um, uh, attitude towards it changes, you know, not just on the demand side, but you know, you'll, you know, if you have a problem, I think you're, you're a little bit more courteous as I am. I know what the comments for the apps are, right? <laughs> but maybe you're a little bit more courteous to the developer and they'll help you and stuff. You know, there's a, an actual relationship relationship forms then i think subscriptions are maybe mitigate some of that stuff because you know people aren't ready to pay like four dollars for an app like most people right aren't ready to pay that but maybe if you told them you know it's you know a dollar every six months and it's something you use all the time 
they'll be like, yeah, okay, that maybe sounds like a better deal. And then the developers get like a continued revenue stream, which, you know, they all need. It's work. They do good. Some of them do really good work. They should get paid. You know, I don't know. You know what I just thought about is that um, with the exception of TV or movie streaming services like Netflix or Hulu, um, all of the subscription apps that I use, I'm paying annually. And I don't really ever think about um, canceling them because that cost only comes up once a year. And then it's completely out of my mind the rest of the time. Whereas actually, even though I watch Netflix probably once a day or something like that, there there are occasions where I'm like, man, I need to cut down on my spending. Could I cancel Netflix this month? I never have that thought about those annual subscriptions that I pay. I actually agree on the the annual versus monthly point. I was actually looking through my app store account and I only have a handful of subscriptions. I've got uh, a journaling app, which I, I have set up to pay annually. That one I really only pay because it does syncing and they've had a lot of on, ongoing support stuff. But the others are a little more like a little easier to understand. Like Nomo Robo is a call blocking app uh, that has is a lifesaver uh, to your, to your point earlier about data being freely available. <laughs> Uh, then, you know, weather app, my podcast client, things that I use every day, I'm happy to pay for it. And anytime there's an option to pay annually, I will do that. Usually it's a little bit cheaper. You know, there's a little bit of a discount. Uh, but also it, it just means that it's not, you know, three or four bucks here and there every month. And when it's annual, I just, I don't know, I feel it just feels easier to do. And uh, so I think, I think that there's something to that, to at the very least for developers to have options. You know, I think Apple going around and telling people, this is the future. Like if you're learning, this is the future because you went to one of those meetings and then you've already, you've been checked out for a while. This isn't anything new or obvious Apple is doing because like, this is, this is where the world is going. And, you know, I think we were all so afraid of subscription fatigue and uh, it sounds like at least the four of us, like that it really hasn't been a, a big problem. Uh, can I just make one more point from the, you know, my shtick with, you know, Slovenia and maybe countries outside of the US with the any kind of payment online, uh, the, the whole infrastructure, because it's mostly sort of American companies, right? Um, or, or British ones. Uh, it's, it's all done through credit cards, right? Which I know for you Americans, it's you basically just walk into a bank and you have four credit cards in your pocket <laughs> at some point. Like, I know that's how it works over there. Uh -huh. But like over here, I, I, credit cards are a thing because I, I talked to like Glenn Fleischman like a couple of years ago about this and I got a lot of people that, what are you talking about? Everybody has a credit card but that's not really true it's kind of it's actually for like a young person over here it's really hard to get one you know like your mom has to sign something so they'll give you one like it's not it's not as predatory as at least what i read for about america with the credit cards and since every like payment option is basically tied to a credit card i think that that's some friction uh, over here that you know it's kind of hard to get uh get over you know even older people they don't all have them you know like most people People, like the first real use for credit cards over here were when you would buy plane tickets and then you'd ask whose mom has the biggest limit so you, we could all buy, you know, the, the plane tickets on one card, right? And you basically need to input a card into all of the app stores and then with the subscription as well, right? So I don't know. It's just, I'm just saying it's, you know, it's, it's weird when 
I think like credit cards in America are like the air they're everywhere and over here that's really not the case especially with young people like, I think it's it's not everybody just has one and then when you talk about paying for apps or subscribing to apps there's you know there's a step before that where you, the, you just need the ability to do that basically and not not everybody does which honestly from a, like a human perspective like the credit cards really aren't that great <laughs> with the debt and stuff so I'm, I'm actually kind of glad we have sort of it's kind of harder to obtain a, to obtain one over here but it's getting easier and easier but looking at you know america how all that turned out i don't know i don't know if that's the right way to do it but yeah there is a level below which you can't go the idea that you pay somebody a dollar every six months or something like is probably not sustainable for most app developers to get two dollars a year versus charging ten dollars and letting people walk away with the app forever and that's probably one of the places you need to draw the line. But uh, there are very clearly lots of th- places where I'm happy to give a subscription. And then there are other things where it doesn't really make sense. And I think it's an interesting uh uh, you know what does apple really think here uh how are different developers approaching it um obviously they're going to be places where it doesn't make sense and it does make sense but in the end as we've all said developers have to eat that means they have to get paid and they have to find a way to reach customers who are willing to pay them for the app that they're building and uh you know i uh, there are going to be apps that try to go subscription route and fail because it was a bad idea <laughs> and that's mm. going to happen. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad idea for everyone, but it's going to be a bad idea for some apps. So I guess we'll see. Um, we're reaching the end of the podcast, but before we go, I always like to throw out there something to make you end the podcast happily. And that's the fuzzy puppy update this week. I want to tell you about a job. Uh, there's a cat sanctuary on a very small Greek island named Cyros. Cyros. It is advertising for a part-time paid position, including residence, so you get a place to live. Um, but you have to spend like four hours a day-ish taking care of the 55 cats who live there. <laughs> so if you are 45 years or older, love cats, want to have a house on a Greek island, you got to commit to at least six months of working it. Uh, you really do need to like cats a lot. But uh, it's there. There's 55 cats waiting for you to take care of on this beautiful Greek island. So uh, consider that. And if, if a download listener gets the job, let us know. And you'll be the official uh, Fuzzy Kitty update from from then on. Uh, anyway, job, job opening. Pay attention, everybody. We'll put a link to the stories about it in the show notes if you're curious about it. But that brings us to the end of this edition of Download. Uh, Andrzej Tomic, where can people find the stuff that you do and say? Most of it is in Slovenian, so I won't bother with that. But stormingmortal.com is a podcast feed of all of my English guests. And uh, Jason has been on. Yes, so I have. That, that's where people can find stormingmortal.com. stuff. Stormingmortal.com. And Leah Becerra, where can people find the stuff that you do? KansasCity.com. That is the website for the Kansas City Star newspaper. All right. Excellent. And uh, Stephen, we did it. We made it through. Woohoo! This was a pretty good, good one. Job. Yeah, it was good. We covered a lot of stuff. Uh, but you know what? There was a lot of stuff going on. There will continue to be stuff going on. And that's why until uh, next week, we will keep watching those headlines so you don't have to. But until then, I have been your host, Jason Snell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. See ya.